Amen. Tanner, thank you for that prayer and thank you for that update and just letting us know what God is doing there in Boston. And we will continue to pray for you and for Marcia and that church and what God is doing there and those ways that you've asked us to pray. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Romans chapter 6. We're going to continue our journey through Romans. The gospel changes everything. We've been talking about the blessings of the gospel. It's been a few weeks since I've uh, preached and preached uh, even from Romans with Father's Day and Mother's Day and different things going on. Uh, but I want to kind of update you about that chapter. What that chapter is all about is what um, two lives are basically contrasted in that chapter. That is a life of lawlessness or a life of holiness. And uh, he challenges us as followers of Jesus Christ to overcome, to recognize and to overcome the power of sin because of what Jesus Christ has done. He's overcome the power of sin and he lives within us. I want to remind you of four words that we talked about the last time we were in Romans. First of all, realize. He uses the word know many times in those opening verses of chapter 6. He wants us to know realize that we are dead to sin and the second word is reckon that is consider yourself picture yourself dead to sin now these two actions realize and reckon those are of the mind when we're being tempted when we're being drawn away into sin those are things we need to discipline our mind recognize that we're dead to that realize we're dead to that sin and reckon ourselves dead to it i cannot commit that sin because i'm dead to it now these last two words rule and relinquish our acts of the will we need to exercise our authority over that sin he said let not sin have dominion over you you have to recognize realize reckon that sin does not have authority over me i have authority over it god told cain don't let that sin he said sin's crouching at the door but you must rule over it we can rule over the sin that comes our way. And then the last one is relinquish. That is yield, present, surrender your will, the members of your body to God and to righteousness and not to sin. Now, if we practice these things, if you will practice this, and actually if you missed any of those, then you can go back on our website and you can listen to that message where we talked about those in greater detail. It will help you as you're battling temptation, because I know every one of us here, we battle temptation, don't we? And, and, and everybody here, from time to time, we fail and we give in to temptation, don't we? And then we feel guilty, and we wish, man, if I just could overcome that. Well, you can, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. And if you exercise these things, realize, reckon, rule, and relinquish, you can expect to see some change taking place in your lives. But let me remind you that it is God's grace through which we can do this. It's not of our will and volition. It is God's grace working in us both to will and to do of his good pleasure. And as our lives are changed and transformed, it is to God's glory. So I want to read chapter 6, verse 19 through 23 is where we're going to pick up today. And we're going to look at the fruit of holiness. Romans 6, 19, I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves of uncleanness and of lawlessness leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. What fruit 
did you have then in those things of which you are now ashamed? Well, the end of those things is death. But now having been set free from sin and having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness and the end everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. In this passage, Paul refers to the change in a believer's life as the fruit of holiness. Holiness is not something we talk a lot about. I think that's for several reasons. First of all, none of us ever really feel holy. If I took a survey here this morning and said, how many of you think you're holy? I doubt I would get anybody to say yes. Secondly, we don't understand the concept of holiness. And thirdly, most of us are aware that we don't always live very holy lives. But Hebrews 12, 14 tells us that we're to make every effort. We're to make every effort to be holy. And he goes on to say, for without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Think about that. The word holy means to be set apart, cleansed and consecrated unto God. Many times in the Bible, it refers to a vessel like a jar or a bowl or a spoon or something that's been cleansed and set apart for God's use or for use of worship in the temple. It's often used of Israel, God's people who are consecrated to him. With that in mind, I want to ask you, as God's people, as God's church, as followers of Jesus, are you holy? Yes, you are. Have you been cleansed from your sin? Yes. Have you been consecrated unto God and belong to Him? To be used for His purpose and His glory? Yes. So in that sense, you are holy. But in this passage, the Apostle Paul uses the word holiness which would denote that there will be things in a believer's life that demonstrates his condition of being holy. So if you're holy, there will be certain evidences of that. That's what Paul calls the fruit of holiness. He spoke of this in verse 4. He said in chapter 6 that we should walk in newness of life. That's what I told Holland this morning as we were preparing her for baptism that when I picked her up out of the water, that that was a picture of her having a brand new life. And we should walk in that newness of life. Two lives are contrasted in this chapter. A life controlled by sin, which leads to death, or a life controlled by Christ, which leads to life. You see that little uh, phrase there in your notes on the back of the bulletin, before Christ? This is your life before Christ. Lawlessness, which led to shame, which led and leads to death. By the way, the word death is mentioned 12 times in this chapter. But Paul asks a question in verse 21. What fruit did you have in those things of which you're now ashamed? What is the fruit of lawlessness? Well, 
God gave one law to Adam and Eve. What was it? Don't eat the fruit of that tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It was the only law he gave them. Well, I mean, he he did give them other commands, be fruitful and multiply. But that was the no-no law, I guess you could say. Don't. Don't. Well, what's going to happen if you tell a two-year-old don't? Well, Adam and Eve never got to be a two-year-old, but probably they had only been living a little while. I mean, they're the only people that were never had infancy, so they were probably only two years old. Now, I'm just, you know, I'm just being a little facetious there, but we know if you tell a human being no, that's exactly what they want to do. And um, God said, don't eat the fruit of that tree. And what did they do? They practiced lawlessness. They ate the fruit of that tree. And what did they reap? Well, they reaped guilt, shame, and blame. Now, let me ask you something. If you, don't, if you commit a sin, and you don't properly deal with that sin by bringing it to Christ, then what's going to happen? And this is where we're going to f- focus on this morning. These first four bullet points. First of all, if you don't, proper, if you don't bring your sin to Christ... You're going to try to cover it up. Genesis 3, 7 said, Adam and Eve, they realized they were naked. So what did they do? They sewed fig leaves together. I don't know about you, but I have a fig tree in our yard. And I remember taking my kids one day to Mr. C.H. Gaddy's house. He had this massive fig tree. And he sent my kids up in that tree picking figs. And my kids came home going, Daddy, I've, I've never itched so bad in all my life. That's the itchiest stuff. I don't know why a human being would choose fig leaves to cover themselves with. <laughs> but see, that's your attempt and my attempt. We choose the foolish things to try to cover ourselves with. Proverbs twenty-eight thirteen says, If you try to cover your sin, you will not prosper. But he that confesses and forsakes his sin will have mercy. So what happens if you don't bring your sin to Christ? You try to cover it up. You try to hide. Adam and Eve hid from God. That's not the proper response. Don't hide your sin. Expose it to God. If you continue to cover it, you'll try to look for somebody to condone it. That's what's happening in our world today. Instead of people confessing that they're living in sin, they're trying to ask people to rubber stamp it. Just condone that what I'm doing is okay. Let's pass laws to to make it okay that what I'm doing is is not sin, it's not wrong. And see, that's what happened in 1 Samuel chapter 8. Israel asked for a king. And God told Samuel, Samuel, it displeased Samuel so much, he came to God and said, God, they're, they're asking for a king. And God said, Samuel, they haven't rejected you. They have rejected me. They don't want me to be their ruler. And then here's what um, they said to Samuel. In 1 Samuel 8, 19. Nevertheless, the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel. And they said, no, but we will have a king over us that we also may be like all the nations. That our king may judge us and go out before us. And fight our battles. In other words, we want to be like everybody else. Condone it. Everybody else is doing it. We want to be like everybody else. So if you don't don't take your sin to Christ, you're going to cover it. 
and then you're going to cover it for so long and, and your, your guilt is going to overwhelm you that you're looking for a way to escape that guilt. So you're asking somebody, please tell me it's okay to live like this. Condone it. And then what happens if you still don't deal with it? You become confined to it. You become captured by it. In Psalm 78, the children of Israel had um, been delivered from Egypt and now they're wandering in the wilderness and they began to complain that they didn't have any food. God sent manna and he rained down manna and they began to eat manna and were sustained. Then they got tired of manna and they complained. We're tired of eating manna for breakfast. We're tired of, man tired of manna for lunch. We're tired of manna for supper. Give us something different, Lord. Give us some meat. Please give us some meat. God said, okay, I'll give you some meat. And he sent a, a whole, I mean, just he rained down. The Bible says in Psalm 78, he rained down the quail, the meat upon them. And he says in verse 28, he let it fall in, their camp, in the midst of their camp all around their dwellings. So they ate and were well filled, for he gave them their own desire. They were not deprived of their craving, but while the food was still in their mouths, the wrath of God came against them and slew the stoutest of them and struck down the choice men of Israel. God said, okay, I'll give you what you want. I'll let you have your way. Well, it's a dangerous place to be. You've sinned and you've tried to cover it up. Now you're asking somebody to condone it for you. And then now you're, God's turning you over to your own way. The Bible says in Proverbs 1, 31 and 32, Therefore they shall eat the fruit of their own way and be filled to the full with their own fancies. For the turning away of the simple will slay them and the complacency of fools will destroy them. You remember from Romans chapter 1, we looked at what God said. They rejected God's counsel. They rejected his law. They rejected Jesus. And God said in verse 24, God gave them up to uncleanness and the lust of their hearts, to dishonor their bodies among themselves. Verse 26, for God, for this reason, because they rejected God, God gave them up to vile passions. For even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust for one another. And then he said in verse 28, and even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting. So now, because they've committed sin or we commit sin, we don't bring it to Christ. We seek to cover it up, condone it. Now we become confined to it. It's a master over us. We're enslaved, and that's what Romans 6 is talking about. We are not to be enslaved by sin. And then the end of that is death. That is, we're condemned because of it. Romans, I'm sorry, John 3, 17. We know verse 16. Hear it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever, whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. I think we don't need to leave out verses 17 and following because we need to hear the good news, but we need to hear what happens if you reject the good news for the Here's the, the Bible says, For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world. Thank you, Lord. But that the world through Him might be saved. He who believes in Him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that light has come into the world. 
And men loved the darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deeds should be exposed. You see, that's what happens when we live a lawless life. We don't bring our sin to Christ. You see, this is what happens with a lot of unbelievers, all unbelievers. This is what we're seeing in our world. Cover our sin, condone our sin, and then they become confined to it, enslaved by it, and then condemned by it. It's what will separate them from God unless they, instead of covering and condoning and being confined to it and condemned by it, unless they confess it. You see, in Genesis chapter 3, God comes walking in the garden. He says, Adam, where are you? Do you think God knew where Adam was? Sure, but God was soliciting a confession. We're over here in the bushes, Lord. We're hiding. We're naked. Well, who told you you were naked? Did you eat the fruit that I told you not to eat? God was asking for a confession. We have to confess our sins. The Bible says if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us. If you'll just confess it, don't try to cover it. Don't try to condone it. Just confess it. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And we also must repent of it, renounce it. 2 Corinthians 4.2 says we have renounced the hidden things of shame. So when we bring our sin to Christ and we confess it as sin and wrong and repenting of it, we receive his cleansing. And we're given his righteousness. And that righteousness that belongs to Jesus Christ is now given to us. The Bible says that God made Jesus to be sin, who knew no sin, so that we, you and me, could become the righteousness of God in Christ. Now, that's a great exchange. That's a great deal. You won't ever find a better deal in all the universe. You give Christ your sin. You confess it. You you give it to him. He gives you his righteousness. You tell me where you can find a better deal. Anywhere. Nowhere. And that righteousness of Jesus Christ in you produces the fruit of holiness. And that's what we're going to look at next week. What is that fruit of holiness? What should I be looking for? What is this evidence of of this in my life? How do I know that Christ's righteousness is in me? See, because if it's there, there would be the fruit of holiness. And you see, he says back in our text, what fruit? Had you then in those things of which you're now ashamed? You know, your former life, your life before Christ. And even now, when you sin, you know the shame. You feel the guilt. You sense the separation or the the distance that you've created between you and God. And the devil's always there. He was there to tempt you. You gave in, you sinned, you feel the guilt and the shame, and then he's there to beat you up over it, telling you God doesn't love you anymore. God won't forgive you. You can't go back to God. You need to run from God. All these lies he's telling you. You've sinned too many times. That's once too many. It's once too often. He's not going to forgive you. You see, that keeps many people, maybe even some of you here today, 
the bushes covered with fig leaves. You're seeking for somebody just to rubber stamp your sin because you're tired of the guilt. Just tell me it's okay to live like this. I'm looking around, I see other people doing the same thing. Isn't it okay? It's not okay. It never will be okay. It doesn't matter if laws are passed to approve it's okay. The only thing you can do to get rid of that guilt and shame is expose it to Jesus Christ and his light. And ask him, ask him to forgive you. And he will. For he died on the cross. He took on your sin. He paid your debt to give you just what you need. Forgiveness and cleansing. And a brand new life. It's yours. It's yours. If you'll take it. Would you bow with me this morning?